Hi, lifers. Welcome back. Thanks for coming back to the table this week. Hey, thanks for all your emails and encouragement and questions continuing to come. I really appreciate that. It's really great to hear all of your thoughts about all of this and some of your stories. Some of you have been very brave in sending me some of your stories and talking about what all this means to you. It's just a pleasure and a half to do this. This is the job that I don't get paid for, and I do it even though I don't, because I love it so much. It's so wonderful. Today, episode seven, if you can believe it or not, this is our seventh, this is my seventh week doing this. Um, today is episode seven, and this episode is called How to Be in Two Places at Once, part one. There will be at least a part two of this, and that will be next week. That's the plan. So make sure you come back next week also. I'm even saying that before you've heard this week's. How to be in two places at once, part one. Today I do have a studio audience of two, my hamster and my husband. (laughs) This time... My husband is reclining in the chair <laughs> and enjoying enjoying this podcast live this week. Today, how to be in two places at once. So there are two types, at least. At this point, I see it the way I see it is there are two types of being in two places at once. One we don't really enjoy or find life in and one that we do enjoy and find a lot of life in. This week we're going to talk about the first type, and that's why this is part one. So if you are not practicing presence in the moment that you're in, your mind isn't really there, right? It's elsewhere. So can you think of a time recently where you've experienced this, um, I don't know, maybe you sort of were daydreaming and you kind of like jolted out of the daydream and you're like, oh, wow, how much time passed? What was said while I was daydreaming? Whatever that is. That's like being in two places at once, right? Your mind is somewhere else and your body is in the moment that you're in. And it's one of those things. It's simple and really hard to be in the same place at once. So living in the moment, I'm going to define it as this. Living in the moment means your mind and your body are in the same place at the same time. And that is a lot harder than it sounds, especially because when I mean living in the moment and your mind and your body are in the same place at the same time, that means this present moment, whatever that present moment is. It's all of those three things happening at once. Mind, body, in this present moment. That's what living in the moment is. That's how I'm going to define that today. So I want to talk about what prevents this or makes it significantly harder. The first thing that I see as a barrier that makes this significantly harder is something that I deal with in my profession, mental illness. And I want to talk about, um, specifically, I want to talk about, 
um, anxiety and stress disorders. And I'm not going to go, if you're, if you're not the counselor type, or if you're not like a big fan of listening to things about mental disorders or mental illness, it's okay. Just hang tight. It, It won't be long. And it might be, you might find something interesting in here. And if you think you know it all, you might find something interesting also. So stay tuned. So the first one I want to talk about is post-traumatic stress disorder. We call this PTSD, right? So can we talk about PTSD for a second here? This is where my heart beats. I have a specialty in working with survivors of trauma and um, whether that's natural disasters, childhood abuse, adult abuse, domestic violence, um, emotional abuse, psychological abuse, um, neglect, whatever that looks like. It's very prevalent. And PTSD is the traumatic stress response that lasts after the traumatic event. And I don't know if you know this, but an estimated 24.5 million Americans have a PTSD diagnosis at any given time. And that's just diagnostic statistics. Those are the people who receive a diagnosis. An average of one out of nine women develop PTSD. And one in 18 men develop PTSD. So that means about 8 million adults are diagnosed each year in the United States. Wrap your head around those numbers if you can. Good luck. But with these statistics, you know somebody who is living with PTSD. And you might not know it. And if you're a woman and you are in a group of nine other women, that means one of you has developed PTSD. Perhaps it's you. Who knows? Perhaps it's more than one of you. So here's what I want to tell you about the symptoms of PTSD. And I'm telling you this because it has to do with how we are sometimes in two places at once. So with PTSD, the main, there are three main symptoms I want to touch on today. One is re-experiencing traumatic events. And this might include intrusive thoughts, like thoughts that come in uninvited while you're just minding your own business, like a, you know, an intrusive person, basically. Um, it might come in the form of flashbacks, It might come in the form of nightmares. And when I say flashbacks, I don't know if you're picturing, um, you know, something super dramatic where a person is like physically sort of jolted and they're re-experiencing this. That's not necessarily what flashbacks are like for those who live with PTSD. Sometimes it's just kind of like what you look like when you're daydreaming. It's just happening. Um, the second symptom, main symptom is emotional numbness or avoidance of reminders. Those kind of go in the same category. So it's this wanting to stay numb, um, or maybe not wanting to stay numb, but feeling numb. And there's definitely a strong avoidance of reminders or what we call triggers of traumatic events. And then the third symptom is hyperarousal. And this means, you know, 
difficulty sleeping, difficulty concentrating, difficulty finding calm in your mind or your body or both. You're easily angered. You're very jumpy. Um, you get startled easily, whatever that, whatever that looks like. That's that hyper arousal or hyper vigilance. Now, when I talk about this first symptom, re-experiencing, what's interesting about re-experiencing is that it's kind of trickily not fitting my definition of, um, you know, this being in two places at once. Here's why. Re-experiencing, it's not the same as remembering. In the case of re-experiencing, so when you, when a person who's lived through a traumatic event and they have PTSD, when they re-experience the traumatic event, their mind and their bodies are at that event, whatever that event was at the same time, except it's not in the present moment. So it's almost like half of the criteria of living in the moment, except you're living in a different moment, which I don't know if that sounds, how that sounds to you, but sounds terrible to me. And so PTSD, because of these qualities and these symptoms, basically causes a person who lives with it to lose time a lot of the time. And when you're living with PTSD, it's like your brain is a time machine from hell and your power to control the thing is little to nothing. So, um, my hope is this creates some empathy for you, for those who you know who live with PTSD, or for yourself if you live with PTSD. Nobody asks for PTSD, just like nobody asks for the trauma that inspires it. So there can be a lot of stigma with this, but please hear me when I say this. If you have, if you live with this, this is not your fault. And you are so very beloved, even though you very often do not feel that way. That's the trauma talking. Okay, so that's what I have to say about PTSD, at least today. Let's move on to talk about anxiety disorder. This is a very, very common disorder in the United States as well. I'm not sure what all contributes to this, but um, we are a very anxious, very diagnosed anxious society in the U.S., Anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the United States. So the stats on this are 40 million adults, that means 18 and over, are diagnosed. And that's 18% of the population of the United States. However, only one third of those people diagnosed actually receive treatment for that, for whatever reason. So maybe that's the stigma, maybe that's lack of uh, exposure to healthcare, lack of access to resources, lack of access to um, funds for care, those kinds of things. But um, only one third of people diagnosed actually get treatment for anxiety disorder. Symptoms of anxiety disorders, disorders, let's, we're going to revisit what the difference between anxiety and an anxiety disorder in a little bit, but, um, anxiety disorder, the symptoms are this, your whole body is fatigued and 
restless at the same time. It's terrible. Um, maybe you have rapid heartbeat, maybe you have rapid respiratory rate. Um, maybe you're, you sweat more often. That's sort of this whole body experience. There's also that hypervigilance, right? That sort of constantly on feeling that leads to irritability. Of course, um, it's hard to concentrate. It's hard to sleep. Um, you have these feelings of sort of impending, impending doom or impending crisis of some kind. And again, there's just most famously this racing intrusive thoughts. I call this the mind chatter. It's this constant, it's like a hamster on a wheel. So while PTSD is like the time machine from hell, anxiety disorder is like the hamster wheel from hell. (laughs) And it's, it's hard to live with. So say you don't have a diagnosis of anxiety. So let's just talk about the the difference between anxiety disorder and just good old fashioned anxiety. Or maybe we call this worry, just different name for the same situation, right? First of all, anxiety disorder includes the symptoms that I mentioned, plus it causes a lot of the social and like occupational functioning. So it's so bad that, you know, you're not doing the same kinds of things that you were doing before. And this has been going on for six months. So I am not diagnosing you. If you're like sitting here and you're thinking, oh, wow, this sounds like me. And I, you know, I'm having anxiety disorder. (laughs) You might, maybe, I don't know. I don't know who you are and I don't know your situation. And I'm not diagnosing you on this podcast. That's not my job here. Um, If you ever have a mental health question, if this sounds like it's ringing some bells in your mind, you should check with a professional or talk to your doctor or talk to your friends. And maybe someone who loves you says, hey, this kind of sounds like you. I love you. How can I support you getting care for yourself? By the way, this is a very loving friend who says this, even though it might not feel like it at the time. But anyway, all that to say, I'm not here to diagnose. That's not what this is about. And this is kind of a clinical podcast so far, but um, this episode, but I just want to say, if this sounds familiar to you, just ask, ask somebody, not, not me, but somebody else, somebody else in your life. Um, All that being said. Your run-of-the-mill worry and anxiety is powerful also. You don't need a diagnosis for anxiety and worry to make you be in two places at once, right? Have you ever been walking somewhere or driving somewhere and you have a lot on your mind and then suddenly you're like, oh my gosh, how did I get here? How did, how did I like, drive here. This happens to me sometimes. Um, worry can do that. It preoccupies us so that we can't occupy ourselves with the present space, uh, with both our minds and our bodies simultaneously. Right. Does that make sense? So that takes me to my next item item on this list here. What else puts us in two places at once? How about grief? 
one minute you're feeling good, you're laughing with a friend, and then you walk to another room, and then suddenly, boom, grief blindsides you. You can experience grief. Grief is not picky about when it decides to capture you. You can be brushing your teeth. You could be getting dressed. You could be driving your car. You could be typing the world's best novel. You could be painting a picture. You could be working on something amazing. And suddenly, boom, it just comes out of nowhere. You could be thinking of nothing. And then suddenly, there it is, grief. Grief blindsides us. And maybe it's grief over someone or something that you've lost. Or maybe it's a big change or something impending. Or maybe it's news that scares you. Anybody have any news scares them these days? (laughs) You know what I'm talking about, right? Grief. Being human means that we get to know grief, whether we like it or not. And with grief, our minds and our bodies get easily detached from the moment that we're in. Staying present, depending on the acuity of grief especially, can be almost impossible. If you, I mean, maybe you have, I don't know, I can imagine that some of you might even be having a hard time saying that you are in grief if you if you are. Perhaps that's something that you're not ready to, that's not a word you're ready to use or something, but I would just invite you to maybe name it if it's grief. Maybe call it grief. It might feel a little better, but it's really hard to stay present. And we don't enjoy things in the same way, even when we are present. With grief, it's like our minds may be here and our bodies are here, but maybe our spirits are still in bed or somewhere else. Grief takes our energy and it takes our presence and it's exhausting. And when we're grieving alone in particular, or if we're grieving in silence, it's worse, right? Because if I'm grieving and you're not, or you don't know that I'm grieving, we're kind of taking up different spaces. It's like, even though our bodies are there together, we, our spirits aren't quite there together. And this is just part of the nature of grief. So now we've talked about the things we don't ask for that serve as barriers to living in the present moment. But what about the things that we choose? What are those? So here's the second thing. Cell phones and electronic devices. Oh, that's right. Your little pocket computers. These things that are really cool, really awesome. We can connect with people. I honestly, truly, I am not against technology or phones, um, in general, they're really great and, um, really incredible creative inventions, but you know, there's always this gap between our cell phones and our, and the present moment have the other day I saw, for instance, I was driving to work and I saw a dad at the bus stop with his little, probably eight year old daughter. And he was on his phone and she was kind of pulling on his, on his vest 
and he was looking at his phone. He wasn't trying to be a bad dad. He wasn't aware that he was missing something. It's just attention. It's just the attention was being grabbed. Or have you ever been to a restaurant and you look around at the tables and at more than one table, more than one person is on their cell phone? Or how many times have you been at a red light or, you know, a stop sign or in a parking lot and somebody's using their cell phone or you're using your cell phone? So, (coughs) excuse me, our devices are making us miss so much of the actual life that we're living. Our bodies and our minds are not in the present moment at the same time. And I am totally so guilty of this one on with the photos that is my favorite feature of my smart device pocket device is that I love taking pictures I have always loved taking pictures and but really like when it comes down to it I can't take a picture of something and be fully there at the same time Technically, even though it feels like I'm in the same place at the same time, I'm really in two places at once. I'm taking this picture and I'm missing the actual live moment. There are actually pictures when I look at them that I've taken on my cell phone and I don't remember the real thing. It's terrible. I would argue though, as I get older, my memory is fading. And so that's my justification. (laughs) for taking lots of pictures. I don't know if it's okay, but anyway, that's beside the point. So, okay. And social media, let's talk about social media. You knew I was going there, right? Cause I talked about cell phones. I talked about our devices. Social media is the next, is the next, uh, it's the sister or the cousin or something. Can you really be on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or whatever it is and be present and attentive to the moment that you're in with the people that you're with? It's really hard to do that. Another side effect of this is I would actually say, too, that if it's later, like, say you're no longer looking at that picture of your friend's, like, cute dog and baby cuddling or something, and you know, it made you a little jealous earlier, and then you're sitting at the dining room table, guess what? You're still thinking about that picture. Your mind is on the picture. Your body is at the dinner table. The moment at the dinner table is lost. You know, it's just different. It's, you're not in the same place. Your mind, your body are not in the present moment at the same time. So we do this really often. Okay. Now that we all feel guilty and sad about our usages of cell phones, don't feel guilty about this. Just... I just want you to consider this and I am considering it with you myself. Um, I choose not to feel guilty and convicted. I'm just thinking about these things. So I invite you to do the same. So enough about barriers to practicing presence. Let's talk invitation, my friends. So the next time you find yourself in two places at once for whatever reason. Maybe it's PTSD. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's grief. Maybe it's worry. Maybe it's daydreaming. Maybe it's fantasizing. 
maybe it's using your cell phone. Maybe it's mentally or physically being on Instagram, whatever that is. The next time you find yourself in two places at once, here is what I invite you to do in three simple steps. (laughs) Number one, notice. There is no need to beat yourself up about this. Just notice it. I can guarantee that if you have some like terrible sentence that you tell yourself internally, when you notice that you're in two places at once, you're going to do it again. And your brain is going to rush a bunch of yucky chemicals the next time. Also, it's just guilty, shame, yuckiness. And that's, those are technical terms and you want to avoid those things, but really no need to beat yourself up. Just notice it. And maybe even say out loud to yourself, okay, I just noticed that I'm, I was in two places at once just now. Okay. That's it. That's all you got to do. Notice it. Hard to do. Simple and hard. Number two, breathe in and out through your nose five times. This is shocking stuff, isn't it? People seriously close your eyes. If you can in any moment, not right now, maybe you're doing this later. Cause I want you to like enjoy this moment. Um, but think about this, just close your eyes. If you're able to, in that moment, you've just noticed, Oh, I was in two places at once. Okay. I'm just noticing. I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to take five breaths in and out of my nose five times. Uh, so as you breathe, pay attention to feeling those five inhales and five exhales, filling your whole belly, feel it in your nostrils, feel it in your throat, feel it offering you presence and focus and energy, maybe even calmness. Breath is seriously, it's like an everyday miracle offered to us at any time and we ignore it all the time unless we don't in which case we have a different experience number three you've noticed you've breathed now use your five senses five more miracles available to you at any place at any time unless you don't have all five senses in which case then you have that number of senses whatever that looks like for you but in fact If it is safe for you, even now, as you're listening to this podcast, I want to invite you to think about this. What do you see? Just pick something, anything. What do you hear? What do you feel? And this one's a little trickier, not emotions. Use your senses, your sense of feeling. Maybe you feel air. Maybe you feel your seat or the weight of your body on your seat. Maybe you feel your weight on the earth if you're standing up. Maybe you feel your heartbeat in some part of your body. Maybe you feel the temperature of the air or the temperature of your skin. What do you feel? What do you smell? There's something you can catch a glimmer of. What do you smell? And then finally, what do you taste? 
Is there like a remnant of your last meal? Can you taste the fresh air? Can you taste your taste buds? <laughs> I don't know what that is. <laughs> what do you taste? And that's it. That's my invitation to you. Those three things, no matter who you are, and no matter what's going on with you, find yourself noticing, breathing on purpose. There's a difference between breathing and breathing on purpose. And then connecting those five senses to whatever moment in which you find yourself. And my blessing is, may you be set free to not lose time. Not lose too many moments, whoever you are, and for whatever reason. And might you be released to experience the gift of presence and all of its fine miracles that it has to offer you. And please take such good care of you, my friends. And I cannot wait to connect with you again next week. Don't forget to come back for part two, because it's even better than this, I think. Possibly. Thanks for showing up. See you next week. <laughs>